Before the 1800s, Singapore was a thriving rainforest where macaques made themselves heard and a hundred shades of green and brown smothered the landscape. It was the perfect home for over a hundred species of mammals and plenty more fish and birds. But after a trading post was established, urbanization began. Caves and village huts became high-rise buildings and lavish apartments. Population numbers exploded. City life took its toll on the environment. Estimates put the natural habitat loss at 95%. But Singapore isn't an isolated example. So how does a modern major metropolis make up for the past? How does it maintain its place as a world-class city while looking after the very environment that makes it so desirable to live in? It transforms itself into a smart city, where planning, technologies and a willing population combine to provide a glimpse into the future of the urban environment. We chat to Dr. Victor Nian, CEO of waterfall management company Willi Foss, and a tax Kyra Rautenbach, and explore the viability of clean energy solution, green buildings, and sustainable water usage in this episode of the Waterfall Podcast. The concept of sustainability, even when narrowed down to a smart city, encompasses a lot of different factors. So let's start off by defining what it means. For that, we ask someone whose professional life revolves entirely around sustainability. My name is Victor Nian. I'm the Senior Research Fellow of the Energy Studies Institute, National University of Singapore. So, I mean, when we talk about sustainability, we always think about the environmental damages and how to make sure that we're environmentally friendly. And then, of course, we're looking at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. That actually gives a very good idea of what sustainability is all about. It is not just about environment. It is also about equality. It is about access to clean water, healthcare facilities, industry development, economic development, and also safety and justice. So in the concept of a smart city, I think sustainability really means how the people living in the city in such a way that we are part of the environment and the way that we carry out our daily lives is environmentally friendly and also achieving the economic development goals for the individuals while creating jobs and ensuring safety of individual citizens in the cities. With so many elements to consider, it might seem like building a smart city would be a huge undertaking. And it would be, if it weren't for the ability for solutions to be worked out and included in a modular way. As a resident of Singapore, it's something Dr. Nian sees firsthand. Uh, modularity really is an element of achieving uh, the goal of sustainability. I mean, when we think about the traditional way of designing cities, we think about mega infrastructures, centralized facilities, for example, major power plants, gigawatt level transmission and power generation facilities and super wide road and major bridges and then also residential clusters. So all of that would require huge capital commitment and a lot of construction coordinations. So with, I mean, that was in the traditional sense of city planning. And then, of course, very often, if you look around the world, uh, and I mean, Singapore is actually one of the examples I would really like to cite is about modularity, where we try to recluster urban living in a way that the surroundings can satisfy most of your living needs. So, for example, you have hospitals, you have shopping malls, you have eateries, you have gardens, um, you have parks, and you have some of the offices 
that are very much close by to where you live. So there's minimum commute required. There's probably not really a need to drive your car. And then you can uh, have the flexibility of, in today's context, working from home or working in the office. So yes, in the sense that if you, if you think from the perspective of energy use, you think from the perspective of traffic congestion, you think from the perspective of convenience, then yes, I think modularity very much is aligned with sustainability. A big part of this subject, both literally and figuratively, is sustainable buildings. But that's not just buildings being constructed from recyclable or sustainable materials. As Dr. Nian explains, the concept goes a lot further than that. From the construction phase, we always hope that the building materials that we use and also the construction method that is being adopted in the city are in a way sustainable. So, for example, minimizing noise pollution to the surrounding neighborhood, using construction materials that are sustainable, perhaps using recycled materials. And also when we are doing construction, we also want to practice with minimum noise, uh, minimum dust pollutions, and hopefully other considerations that will also make sure that the workplace is safe for the construction workers. And then as we use the building, and this is partly tied to the design phase of the building, how do we make sure that the buildings are energy efficient? And then, of course, we also want to make sure that whoever is living in the building will also live a sustainable life, uh, you know, in a way that they, we do not necessarily waste water when it's not needed, uh, you know, try to conserve energy, you know, be more conscious of when to switch on lights and when to turn down or turn up the temperatures, uh, the thermostats. Yeah, so do, these are, you know, sustainable building designs. And of course, nowadays, the thinking is also to think about whether we can have PV panels on the rooftops such that when the sun is shining on the building, not only these PV panels provide, in a way, kind of shading, right? They also generate some electricity that would also supply to the building's cooling or heating needs when it's needed. And then when we start using the building and then it comes to the end of life, then the thinking is what to do with this existing building. If the building is designed for recycling, that means we probably can take a fraction or main proportion of the building materials and recycle them in the next building. But that has to be incorporated in the design phase, such that the building, when it's being demolished, these materials can be retrieved and recovered. CEO of waterfall management company Vili Foss elaborates on how the concept of sustainable building is part of waterfall's long-term goals. We try and ensure that the architectural guidelines makes provision for sustainable design. The E values, as far as the windows are concerned, whether it's double glazing or, or not, the way the, the direction it's uh, being designed. And then also from a, a road infrastructure point of view, we've really gone a long way in making sure that we've tried to take into consideration the whole ecosystem and stick to, you know, that major infrastructure plan that we started in the beginning because that is part of the sustainability of the place. Water and energy are arguably two of the most important elements in any sustainability plan and Waterfall has solutions in place to ensure not only a steady supply of both but a supply that meets the estate's sustainability goals. Kyra Rautenbach, a tax senior sustainability manager, explains. From the energy and water side, we've definitely been looking at both the resilience and business continuity aspects so we are investigating different types of opportunities, not only to reduce our consumption. Those are things we can do quite easily at a building level. We're starting to think bigger 
Um, we know that the climate is changing and evolving, and we have seen and experienced you know, the impact of water losses in the system, and we need to be able to respond to those type of situations, so we're gearing up for that. So backup water is really important, and we've gone through a whole process of assessing where all of our water sources are. Waterfall is in a u- unique location. It sits on a watershed. So we've got the XK, we've got boreholes, we've got access to municipal water, but it's not necessarily our, a reliable source. We've experienced the disruptions that come with it. So we've got all these different types of sources and how do we manage the water balance between what people consume at a building level or a, a residential level? The Yixke River forms an integral part of Waterfall's irrigation of common property, which itself has inbuilt sustainability. Here's Vili again. As far as the Yixke River is concerned, we do have a water use license and we extract water from there. We then treat it because it is quite dangerous, actually, in some cases. And we use that for common property irrigation. So that goes through this treatment plant. That's just a UV plant that we use. There's no uh, side effects or byproducts from that. And we try where possible, obviously, also to use indigenous plants so that it's a lesser use of water in the whole environment. When people go to waterfall, they will see that there's an active plan in place to have indigenous plants. Using water in this way doesn't just have ecological benefits. There's financial gain to be had as well. If you're starting to look at the cost of water and how the um, tariffs are increasing, especially around this area, it starts to open up that opportunity saying, listen, it's feasible to capture wastewater, to reuse it, to really start thinking about offsetting your municipal water costs as well. And at our new residential development that Baldwin is currently building, the Munyaka Crystal Lagoon development, they will use a, a black water treatment plant to replenish the that lake. Yeah, and that's also a sizable piece of water from what I remember. It's not a small pool. Yeah, it's a, it's a total of almost three hectares. So it, it, we thought about that a very long and hard, and that's why we've all agreed that uh, a black water plant will be the best um, way to go. So I just want to turn our attention to energy. Now, in a South African context, we're lucky to have a lot of sunshine, so solar must be one of the obvious options. But what other sustainable energy solutions is Waterfall looking to put into its energy mix? The city's evolving. You know, is it is it responsible for us to only focus on one type of energy solution? So, you know, as much as we love solar, we're saying, well, there's so many other great opportunities around renewables. Um, you know, hydrogen's up and coming. There's a lot of movement happening there. We've got the Hydrogen Valley um, project that's underway, you know, between local government and Anglo. So, so that's also keeping us interested. And then there's things like wind and gas. And so we, you know, on our own R&D drive, look at all the options, but, but we want to also know where the big ticket items are that we can implement now and make a difference with. And of course, nothing in a smart city works effectively without data. Kyra explains how Attack Waterfall's development partner, is managing its sustainability goals digitally. We developed the GCX system, um, which tracks all of the performance parameters from energy, water and waste within the portfolio. And this allows us to practically detect and address like any type of performance or consumption irregularities and investigate further with our tenants. So we actually use that as a point of engagement. So we can say we noticed that um, using a lot more 
electricity this month. Can we come into your space and investigate what's going on here? We've noticed you're using the lights or the air conditioning over the weekend. You don't need to use them. This is how we want to change and improve. And it fixes their costs, their bottom line. And our tenants also might have their own sustainability objectives. And then we can help through this process of engagement and sharing that information, actually realize what they're trying to achieve. And it, it, you know, works hand in hand. A key sustainability aim for Waterfall or any smart city is net zero energy building, construction that intelligently uses the energy it needs to operate with no waste. Victor elaborates on the concept. Right now, I think what people are truly pioneering is what we call a zero energy building. So to design a building in such a way that we do not really need air conditioning. Of course, now people are also thinking about how to design, you know, the building materials, for example, phase change materials that would kind of have better blockage of heat in the case of Singapore, of course. But those, I think, are still at a very, very stage of research and development. And also we're thinking about building thermal storage tanks. When the electricity is cheap, what you can do is you can produce excess amount of cold water stored in the thermal tank. And then, of course, in, in some buildings, we're also looking at smart water meters to use as a guide to you know turn off taps when they're not in use. So, yeah, I mean, I think the net zero energy building concept really is, if you ask me, is state of the art thinking in how to make the building less dependent on the grid for energy consumption. OK, so we've covered a few conceptual ideas about sustainability, but how about a practical example and one that we can all relate to? In the heat of a South African summer, buildings, factories and homes often rely on air conditioning to keep things cool. The problem is that the traditional condensers, the boxes bolted to the walls outside the buildings they're cooling, aren't very energy efficient. There is a better solution, and it's called centralized cooling. This is how it works. Rather than having your own individual condenser unit, we now have these large chiller systems or chiller plants that produce cold water that run through pipes across the buildings so that all of this chilled water carries the cold energy and then will be passed through a cooling coil. And behind those cooling coils, there will be fans that would blow air through this cooling coil and deliver cooling energy to the, to the rooms and spaces. So this has been applied to primarily in the shopping malls and commercial buildings and also office buildings, hotels. These are the common practices. And one of the key benefits of using centralized cooling is it is more efficient. And also another benefit of using centralized chiller is you can, rather than managing the cooling load individually by individual user, you are now managing the entire building's cooling load through a centralized facility where the system can look at what is the loading profile in the building or in different spaces, depending on how smart the system design is. Uh, it can then decide how much chill water or cold energy to be sent to those specific locations uh, at different times of the day so that the chiller performance can be maximized to achieve so-called optimum operating efficiency for the entire cooling system. So in a way, centralized cooling can help improve energy efficiency you know, in the context of the Singapore. Waterfall is following Singapore's lead on net zero buildings. Here's Kyra on some of their current planning. For us, going forward, all new developments, all new buildings will be net zero. 
And we've currently got the Nexus building underway, which is going to be our first net zero rating. And that's currently being certified by the Green Building Council. So we're quite excited about that because it's proven it's possible. You can do it and it's feasible. And it, you can, with a really progressive and integrated professional design team, actually achieve this. So that's become our benchmark now for all new buildings. On our existing portfolio, we're starting to say, okay, what are we going to do to reduce those emissions? So that's those science-based targets coming into play. And if it requires rolling out more renewable energy or retrofitting, that's all the kind of things we're looking at. Having sustainable infrastructure and systems is one thing, but there's not much to be gained unless the people using it don't play their part as well. Dr. Nian explains some of the solutions that could help make sure that happens. Of course, you know you can't blame the people living in the building for not behaving in the most energy-efficient manner because they may not actually know that their behavior are not energy-efficient. They just think that, you know, they, they need thermal comfort, right? They need cooling. In Singapore, is always hot and humid, so if you don't use air conditioning, you probably can't really have a really nice sleep. So here's the question, you know, if you want the people to live a sustainable life, then you need to present to them a set of information so that they are aware of the impact of their behavior. So... You know, today we talk about the Internet of Things. We talk about smart meters. We talk about gadgets and connected devices that will provide you all kinds of information. So, I mean, to me, I think pairing the smart meters with some kind of mobile apps and, of course, in partnership with utility companies would definitely help in informing people of the consequences of their energy-consuming behavioral patterns. So, for example, if you can somehow split the uh, electricity use say from air conditioning to lighting to appliances to TVs and Xbox and the computers that we use at home, then we really have an idea of how much energy are they consuming and what is the consumption profile that we see. And then maybe through a smartphone app, you can even compare your consumption pattern and energy amount with your neighbors, right? And then maybe in the neighborhood, if let's say this app is centralized, managed by uh, a private company or maybe by a government, then they can even tell you what are the best practices among your neighborhood and who is really the so-called energy efficiency star. So in a way, it kind of turns the information into some kind of motivation to drive behavior change. Waterfall residents are learning about sustainability through things like the estate's website, the app, and this podcast. And some have even taken their own steps towards a better future by implementing their own plans. In some cases, there's uh, smaller in- informal groups where people are discussing alternatives. I know in our country estate, residential estate, there's a a WhatsApp group where people are talking about what can they do and how does solar work? Where must you go to install that? In the residential case, a lot of people have installed their own rainwater harvesting systems and they might be irrigating from boreholes already. And that does have an impact, but it also draws from the natural environment. When you look at it in its entirety, sustainability in a smart city is not a small undertaking. It includes everything from how and where buildings are built to how water, waste and energy are managed. It starts with planning before a single thing is put in place and continues long after the city has become a thriving place to live and work. But importantly, sustainability isn't just about the big things put in place by city authorities. It's something that everyone can and should participate in on a daily basis, because even the smallest actions can contribute to a sustainable future. This has been another episode of the Waterfall Podcast. 
Find all the episodes on your favorite podcast platform, as well as on the Clip Central and Go Waterfall apps.